Hello there, and thank you for joining me, Gary Turner, the host of this Value Through Vulnerability podcast for episode 71, which is with the awesome Renata Porter. Renata and I met a few months ago via the Humans First movement, which is uh, rapidly expanding under the leadership of Mike Vacanti. And what's really, really inspiring for me about Renata's work is that she focuses on a, a quite often forgotten part of the organizational structure, which is the middle manager. So often they're actually sandwiched between those above them and those metaphorically below them that they quite often feel the most pressure. Uh, and I think that linked to a couple of the introduction um, takeaways for me I wanted to share with you, which was one being that it can mean letting go of things in a middle manager role where you spend an awful lot of time that, well, on areas that don't add value, but that takes vulnerability. Um, that takes an okayness with not having all the answers and being able to let things go in the hope that it gives you more time back. And I think also something that I found really interesting um, up front is that Renata shared that she wishes that more people would share their experience. That's learning and also failure around more human-centered leadership so that we can all learn from one another. Well, I'm really pleased to advise that I've been spearheading a project over the last few years that some of you may be aware of um, at my work organization where we evidenced a six million increase in sales and a one, one and a half million increase in margin. And we're actually about to start working with a global leading business school um, on statistically validating what we've done over between 2015 and 2018. So it's for exactly this purpose that we can actually help um, educate the next generation of leaders around more human-centered, more heart-led ways of working with the aim of using this case study in future teaching. So uh, really pleased, Renata, that uh, we'll certainly be, uh, certainly be contributing to the, um, the database of evidence um, to help move away from more fear-based leadership to more heart-based or freedom-based leadership going forward. So enjoy this conversation uh, between myself and Renata Porter. You can find all of her contact details in the show notes and towards the end of this particular conversation. And as always, we'd be very grateful for any feedback you'd be willing to share with us. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I'm very grateful to be introducing you to an awesome human in Renata Porter, who is a leadership coach. Hi there, Renata. Hi, thanks for having me. Not at all. Thank you for coming on. Um, as we get going today, as I always like to do with all our guests, Renata, is if you could just give a couple of minutes lowdown, um, you know, what's your background? What are you doing for work today? And what are you passionate about? Sure. Um, my background is incredibly varied. I've had, you know, a tremendous amount of different careers, but um, for all the way from, you know, being a road dog in sales to going up to being an international sales manager to going back down into ticket sales because I wanted to be in professional sports for the MBA um, into project management and um, then leading various different um, departments in IT world. And then my last job working for someone else was actually a director of an IT department. And then when I left there, I started my um, leadership consulting, directed at uh, mainly mental management. I do a bit of management consulting, but I like my focus to be at hopefully developing great leaders. That's amazing. And is that one of your passions around this, this middle management sphere? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to reach the middle managers because it's, it's a, it's a, 
it's a weird position to be in. You know, you're leading a team and then you're also having to um, understand um, how to actually lead upwards or actually, you know, work within a team and uh, have a manager over you. So sometimes it's a delicate balance of courage and, and knowing when to, you know, keep your place. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that on, on, okay. on, on that, that topic around courage brilliant what i'd like to ask though for our, for our listeners as they get to know you a bit more is i love that varied background even sort of disrupting yourself to go to go into ticket sales yeah How does that come from a bachelor of science in education um oh. Listen, I started in sales as a family business and um, in my family business. And I just kind of, you know, I mean, I, I started at the bottom and just worked my way up. And then when um, I decided to move on from that, I did a little bit on the side for myself. And then I just I really wanted to get into pro professional sports. I'm a big sports fan. So um, and it meant I had to kind of. Uh, take a step backwards. So I was fortunate enough to have a, a, a well-supporting husband. So um, I was able to make that leap. And I'm glad that I did because it was a lot of fun. It was probably my most uh, challenging and most, you know, fun jobs that I've had. And it also led me into um, getting my next job in project management with uh, Microsoft. So it was just a great move all the way around, you know, taking that leap. Awesome. So what was yeah. Just out of interest, what did you learn about yourself by taking that leap? And how does that inform maybe some of the work you do today? Oh, to, you know, I, I probably what everybody else would say, just that whole trusting myself that it'll work out. Like, you know, why would you go from a really high paying um, commission role to and having, you know, well embedded relationships that I could depend on that commission and um, and moving to something that I knew nothing about to like hard traditional sales knocking on doors type type atmosphere and trying to build a brand new network so um, I learned that even at an older age in you know older age in my late 30s that it was um, it was okay to take that kind of leap of faith to go after an industry that I thought would be a tremendous amount of fun so unfortunate for me they uh, the man, the owner moved the team, so it was very short-lived. <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. But you got that experience. It's really, it's really yeah. interesting because that 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 courage for you to 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 make that jump, mm. and also I find it really interesting. Maybe it's causal, maybe it isn't. But that courage piece you spoke about as well for a middle a middle manager. You know, yeah. you're speaking to this courage to manage up, but also to sort of almost maintain your assertiveness as a leader. Do you mind yeah, absolutely. About, you know, speak a little bit about the work you do with these middle managers. What is it that really enthralls you with that role? Well, I think a lot of times, you know, um, when you're in middle management, whether you're new or not, it's, you know, you step into that role and you, you usually take on what you've, um, what you think you're supposed to be as a manager or what you've um, learned from just having a manager, what you, what you think come across because I think a lot of the training programs within um, companies is more of that administrative and technical side of management it has nothing to do with actually dealing with the people and that's the real part of the job and I think that's a big miss so a lot of times I think that managers just really don't know what to do to kind of like blaze their 
their own path and they just kind of feel like that's what they're supposed to do because they're being watched by their own managers, you know. So it's kind of like, okay, how do I formulate what I want to do for my own team? And, you know, how do I add value to my team instead of just I'm ticking the boxes and doing all the little technical pieces? And it's just trying to figure that out and being brave enough to go, okay, this is the direction I want to go. And this is how I want to build my team. And this is how I want to support my team and add value to my team. People don't think that way when they're managers, and it's really odd to me. You know, if you can relate to the people, then you can, you know, they'll do anything for you. Connection means getting, you know, they'll, they'll do, they'll show up every day excited about their job, you know, and I think that's a lot of things that, that people miss. And just, I think really, if I were to sum it up, it's just trying to get people to make that mind shift to get out of the technical aspects of their management position and actually get into, you know, you know, what can you do as a person to connect with the other person? And then, in fact, every time you connect with each person, that means you've, you know, created a collective team that's all working in one direction. Sorry, that was probably a really long answer for, <laughs> for that not, question. Not, not at all. It's, it's brilliant, okay. actually. I really like what you're speaking to, like word connection. Hmm. Because it's not something we, you know, it's not something we're taught, is it, at school, no. workplace? No. And they and I and I think people assume connection is just talking to or talking at is probably what more of it is. But you know, just kind of um, talking to people, and there's so much more to that. There's all kinds of depths in, in connection. You know, there's the really lighter side of things, and then there's you know, um, obviously you have to have that communication aspect of it. But there's just so much more to it, and being able to have that connection just means things can happen so much more easier and um, quickly. And I think, I think the biggest pushback I get is people feel like it takes too much time. And what they don't realize is once they put the effort into it, you know, their time gets um, less and less bogged down with the mundane, like having to like be on top of everybody where they get to take care of themselves and you get to move on to, Hey, how about actually doing the things you're supposed to be doing? Like forward thinking and planning and, <laughs> You know, instead of looking at your feet every day, how about looking at the head? <laughs> it's it's so interesting that though, because like it's so obvious that we get time back by investing upfront in relationships and preventative conversations, etc. What is it that stops people actually doing that? Like, because we we all know innately that to build those relationships, that collaboration, that trust. Yep will give us better results, but people still seem to be quite scared to do that. Well, I don't know. I, I, my personal opinion is I feel like it really boils down to feeling like they don't have the time. I think it really boils down that they get, they have so much on their plate. They're doing so many things. Now, do they ever stop to evaluate if they're doing the things they should be doing and should half of those things be tossed? You know, are they wasting time? Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to really prioritizing and making that a point uh, of difference for them, making sure that they are, are, that's their focus, that they actually do connect with their team. So that mean, might mean they have to let go of other things that they spend a lot of time on that probably don't add a whole lot of value. Um, and then there probably is the fear of, you know, that big myth understanding of if you get too close to your team, then you can't actually lead them and it's hard for you to make decisions or you can be manipulated. And, and you know, that's all, that's all bull. <laughs> I caught myself. 
that's all bull. So it's, you know, I think when you're able to have that connection, it's so much easier to correct, you know, and it's so much easier to guide somebody through a difficult time than having to try to, that be the first time you actually have a serious conversation with somebody, you know, that. Yes. It's really fascinating because of course you and I met via the, the fascinating humans first yes. conversation that we have every Friday. And it's, it's really interesting that we come, you know, you and I come from quite different spheres. We've both been in the sales sphere, but you know, you're on the other side of the world. I'm over here in the UK. Yet the commonality of the conversation around how do, can we be more human to drive better outcomes? It seems to be getting louder and louder. Do you not think? I think it is. I think it is getting louder and louder. But what I would like to see more is more examples of how to walk the walk, you know, mm -hmm. not not dictatorial that you have to do this, that and the other. But like people need examples. They need, you know, um, I don't want to say frameworks, but they need to hear people go, hey, listen, I tried this and I bombed. And, but that might actually work for somebody else, you know, and I think um, I'm really excited that more and more people are speaking up about trying to connect with each other and, and looking at each other as humans instead of cogs, you know, in a wheel. And, and I think that's amazing. And it's a great conversation. I just would love people to share more of their experiences. And um, so we can all learn from each other. Like you said, we're on, you know, two different sides of the planet. And at one, you know, for the last 10 years, before I came back home, I was in New Zealand. It's the same all over, you know. I think people truly, really want to enjoy the place that they spend more time at more than their family. I think people really would love to to love their work. And I really don't think that that's big a that's a big jump in my you know mind. I, how hard is it? All it is is just liking the people that you're working with and you can't like the people that you're working with and like your job if you can't have a two minute conversation with them of about anything. You know, it could be something simple. It could be something serious. So that all comes back to that connection. It's so fascinating because if we think about there's this examples, whether it's macroeconomic basis or you know, organizations, this just isn't a boardroom conversation. People aren't. Mm -mm. We're still quiet, I find anyway, I'm not sure about your, your network, Renata, mm -hmm. but there's still far too much focus on metrics and not enough on actually what do we do as a team and on that, how do we use that connection on a human level to yeah. drive better outcomes or to get, make those metrics better or to improve a process. It's almost like technology and processes leading humans rather than the other way around for me. Absolutely. I think sometimes I question, I think, I mean, that's, first of all, that's my, why my focus is on middle management, because I'm hoping to catch them on their way up, right? So when it gets, t when they get up into the boardroom, it's just common everyday language for them. And then, you know, we're really changing the course. But I also, sometimes I wonder if companies, um, if they even want leaders, you know, you look at job positions now, and especially in the IT sphere, you know, for middle management, if you're looking for an engineer, they're looking for all the specific certifications for the actual team lead or the lead of that team. Now, I get, to, I understand why they need to have the technical, um, some of the technical knowledge, but the main part of their job is to lead. So if you're only going to be hiring doers and just hope that they can do the little administrative pieces, well, then you're weeding out the leaders. You know, how are they ever going to learn and learn how to really motivate and challenge a team so they become innovative and the team just keeps escalating and improving and, and having, you know, 
a lot of uh, great successes if all you're doing is expecting your leader to tick boxes. I think businesses or companies just kind of weed it out now. Like you said, they're getting into that processes or, you know, they're, it's more dependent on technology instead of the people. Yes, it's really interesting. There's an organization I know over here in Europe and they're, they're running seven concurrent IT projects. There are people going off work with stress. There's people leaving the organization because people aren't thinking, actually, what's the impact? Absolutely. Technological digitalization, inverted commas. Like literally, it's like carnage, the people mm. in this organization. You're just, I'm just wondering at what point does someone think the impact of all of these projects could actually damage our humans? Yeah. There's only one example, but I don't think it's uncommon. No, I don't think so either. I mean, we just, we went through that when I was hired at my last company. Um, they were, um, had just signed off on all of these transformation projects and we had to deliver, and this is a small company and we had to deliver four within one year, not even understanding that the company themselves were getting ready to go through a whole restructure. And twice I tried to speak up about, maybe we should put one of these on hold. Maybe we should, you know, at the beginning and they just, you know, cause they were already signed off before I came on board, but you know, they're just people get in that mindset of no, we got to use that budget this year. We've invested this year. No, we're already signed off. We're already doing it. And they just won't hold back and won't even look at the impact of their people or, you know, and I just think, okay, put the money aside, think about your people, push it through next year so you can have success this year and even greater success next year instead of crashing and burning this year and figuring out how you're going to recover next year's. Again, it all comes, it feels like it's common sense, but um, I don't know who was it that said common sense doesn't always equal common practice. So mm. it's, a, it's a great phrase. It's, it's, really, it's really fascinating because I'm, I'm sort of sensing with the work you're doing with these, these middle and upcoming mm. managers or leaders is that that's quite a challenge, isn't it? If you've got a sort of a board or a senior leadership team that have signed yeah. off and you're in the middle of that, that sandwich, that's a real challenge, isn't it, to manage? It is. I, I had to actually, um, do that for myself in my last role because I <laughs> I was caught up in the mess of my senior leadership team and it was really affecting me I, I feel like I was um, <laughs> not being the best person I could be I was you know I got caught up in, in the um, drama let's just put it that way okay um, but I had to go home one weekend and go you know what I can't do this anymore I've just got to focus on my team and um, Tim Story has a great quote about um, uh, working your land and planting your seeds and watering them and water means repetition right so and, and that's essentially you know I think what I'd like to try to get across to the to these middle managers is that you know focus on what you feel like your values are for your team and then work with your team on the behaviors that are going to bring those values out so you guys can become a collective focus on your team you know work that land and then you know don't worry about when you have to muster up the courage to say, no, I'm going to do something different. I think this is, this is the direction my team should be going. No, I don't like to treat my, my team that way. Yes, I do spend lunch with my team and it is okay if I have a great conversation with them, you know? So I think if, 
I'm trying to make an impact where I can get the, uh, the middle managers to actually focus on themselves and the teams that they want and the excellence they want at the other end, then it kind of silences all the noise above and then it, it, it kind of uh, releases all the pressure as far as are you doing things right? Well, according to who, you know, according to you or according to somebody else, you know? Um, so I'm hoping that that's helpful and that's, you know, that they learn lessons as far as how to actually work with people. So when they move up the ladder that they just bring all that, you know, knowledge with them. Cause I think a lot of, you know, your senior management, they really have to get in that forward thinking leadership perspective and they have no clue how to collaborate. They have no clue how to depend on their team to innovate. They've never learned how to do those tasks. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can get them in the, the middle level and they're good to go in another few years. Oh, that, that's awesome. I really like what you spoke to there actually around, you can actually build or you're focusing on helping that unit, that middle management team and mm. their little tribe. Can yeah. be in a big corporation, but they can still create their own culture based on values such that yeah. they can take that forward. I think that's a really insightful uh, comment that. Yeah, and I, you know, listen, I, I used to talk about it when I was first doing it and when I was reshaping, uh, you know, because I would get these comments of, hey, your team seem really happy and things are going well. But as soon as I start talking about the things I'm doing, you get the eye rolls and the, oh, okay, and they lose interest and they, you know, because to them, it means they have to invest in their team and I don't have the time for that. I've got 50 meetings a day and it's like, okay, well, it's your choice, your priorities, you know. So, um, so I learned to just keep my mouth, my mouth shut and just keep doing what I was doing with my team. It was working with my team, you know. And I think because of sales, I've always had those relationships. Um, I've always been in the people business, right? I think um, I was actually just watching your, oh, sorry, I forgot the name of your sessions, but the last um, one that you had with, um, the lady from VaynerMedia. Oh, uh, Claude. Claude, that's right. Yeah. And she was saying, well, we're all in the people business. And I'm thinking, yeah, I've, you know, I've always been in the people business. And, and I think once you learn how to build those relationships and once you develop them, it'll, you only get stronger and stronger and you learn how to deal with, you know, a myriad of different people. And there's, you know, almost no situation that you can't handle the strong, the more you build those relationship skills and those connection skills, there's almost nothing that you can't handle when somebody comes to you with what they feel is, you know, the biggest problem of the world. You're like, okay, I've got some experience here and, and um, here, this is how we're going to work through it. You know, that's lovely. If you think, thinking back to what you just said, I think it's really interesting comment where you said these other leaders like, Hey, why is your team working so well? So effectively, mm -hmm. What were one or two things for our listeners that you worked on intentionally to make sure that your team was connected and worked well as a team? Were there a couple of practices that you introduced yourself? Or I think in my last probably three teams that I worked with, um, I have to say the biggest thing that I had to really, really push was for them to work with each other. You know, um, you know, I, when I work onto a new team, so, you know, you can tell the environment, whereas like 
they're, they either have some type of relationship or they have no relationship. My last job, they were really, you know, kind and, and lovely to each other, but they would never lift their head to ask the person sitting across from them what they thought, how could they solve this problem? How could they help? Right. So I think I'm even in my last three roles, that's been the biggest thing. It's like, Hey, you've got experts sitting right next to you. Bounce the idea off of them. Even if it's they're in, you know, they do a different role than you. They might have an opinion. They may have worked with that customer or they may see things differently. So I think the biggest thing is to get them to talk and communicate with each other. And sometimes that, um, Sometimes it can be brutal for a new leader, you know, or even an experienced leader like me, just trying to drag them into talking to each other and like, you know, hey, don't you have an opinion about that? You know, trying to like force them, pulling them and prodding them to like talk to each other. But once they get over it, oh, you, you know, sometimes you can't get them to shut up, but it's, it's kind of that. But that's what you want, right? Because you want them to work with each other and solve problems with each other. So you as a leader or the manager of that team don't have to be in the middle of every little thing. So I think that's the biggest thing that I worked on that I think was showed the most improvement. And also like being, you know, you talk about being vulnerable. A lot of, a lot of times I'm probably a, a little bit more open than I should be as a leader. I probably admit that I don't know as much as I do uh, as I should probably more than I should. But I think another thing is to approach them with them understanding that, you know, Hey, I've got my job. You've got your job. I know the, I know the, you know, the higher level of what you're doing and I don't need to know the, uh, you know, the ins and outs of every little programming step you take. I, sorry, if you want me to know that there's no way that I can actually do my job. So, and I, so I think being, I don't know, down to earth, and just approachable and being able to say that, you know, I don't know everything, I think also helps. I think that's so, so powerful what you spoke to. We had um, Gary Ridge from WD40 on the podcast back in episode 50, Renata, and he spoke mm. about that very comment. So the three words that he learned that transformed his career was, I don't know. Yeah. Ability to say that and communicate it. And I think that really came up for me as you explained about people speaking to each other. because. Yeah if you think about the education system, the world of work, we've been brought up on perfection, on yeah. top grades, on, you know, basically being the best. And it's really interesting mm. to go and say, all of a sudden, I don't know. It's counter to everything we've been taught, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think it's what you follow up to, I don't know, right? Because you can always say, I think a lot of times now, most managers or leaders won't admit that they don't know, okay? But even if they do, they just leave it at that. And I think that's even more damaging. I think what you follow that statement up with is even, you know, I don't know, but let's work it out and figure it out together. I don't know, but let me go find out and I'll come back to you. You know, I don't know. This is complete new territory. Maybe we need to bring an expert in. I think it's what you follow, follow that statement up with is what builds that trust and that relationship with, you know, with your team cracking point i love i love that so much and it, it's it speaks to me personally so much what you're describing because within yeah. my own work organization um we actually ran an experiment for three years very much in line with what you're talking wow. about where we ran our own we developed our own value set our own culture and it completely outperformed the rest of the business because we mm. went from more fear-based to more freedom-based in our design and now the, the bigger part of the business is now interested to see it and i think sometimes it takes a leader a middle manager to go, no, there is a better way. 
And it takes courage to do that, but I think absolutely it can be spectacular, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And being okay with the fact that, hey, you were heading down a path and realize that's not the right path. It's okay. Then just go the other direction. Or, you know, when you start down that path, you know, don't think that you have to know everything, that things might just shift and change or you might learn new things. So, yeah, absolutely. Being able to stand up and forge your, forge your direction and feel like that you're setting on a values and behavior system, I think is just huge, you know. And it just gets gobbled up by your team. Once they see that it's not just talk and woo-woo and that you're actually putting things into practice and, and you know, it, you know, people want it. Like I said, they want to show up to work enjoying their work. I mean, they're there with, with their person sitting next to them more than they're sitting with their wife or their husband or their children. Such you know? an important point. Such an important point. What are you working on at the moment or, you know, what's inspiring you the most around the work that you're doing at the moment? Are you seeing any sort of new friends? Is there any sort of organization you work with that's really firing you up at the moment? Well, I'm getting ready to work with a group that I, I didn't think that I would ever work with. And that's um, in the, um, um, nonprofit sector and it's with a, uh, us swim team in, in Virginia. It's a team in, in Virginia. And, um, it's a contact that I have because I grew up as a swimmer and went to university on swimming scholarships. And um, it's really interesting because they're trying to get out of that mindset of a head coach and a head coach dictates everything. And then, you know, when you have a massive team with a lot of coaches and everything depends on one person, it's really hard to disseminate that information out. So they're, they're trying to make that, that mind shift to, collaborating a little bit more, putting a bit more structure in place. So everything, you know, like the head coach sets the tone, but the rest of the coaches or the leadership coaches actually step up and help and support. And I think it's a, it's going to be, I'm excited. I'm, I'm leaving in two weeks to go out there. So it'll be very different for me. Um, I was a president of a charity in New Zealand. This is not a charity, it's nonprofit, but it's, um, it's, you know, it's, it's still in that, in that realm and that atmosphere that they're going, listen, yes, no, we're not corporate America, but there are some, you know, there's some things that we can do here that if we actually invest in our coaches, the output of that is the investment. It's reflected in the swimmers instead of everybody just trying to do their own thing and focus on the swimmers. So it's, it's a, it's a mind shift as far as the world of coaching is concerned. So I'm excited about that. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's some, it leads actually quite nicely into something. I, I really enjoy some of your articles, um, Renato, and there's one you did quite recently around performance development versus performance management. How, mm. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Because I think it's very relevant to this middle management focus that you have, and maybe even to the work you're going to do with the swim team. Right. Um, actually, I am doing a bit of that. I'm putting that kind of in place, which I, I, I would, unless you're maybe in professional sports, coaches have never seen a performance development plan. So um, I think, you know, performance development time of year, I don't know. For me in the last 10 years in New Zealand, performance development time of year was a dreaded time of year. Nobody, Everybody hated it. Even the people who, you know, just an employee wasn't managing anybody. 
you know, they hated it because they felt like they had to fill out all these documents, you know, had to fill out all these forms and it just didn't mean anything. It wasn't followed up on, you know, you never have money to help me get the courses that I need or, you know, the project gets canceled. So, you know, what does that do to my, my development plan? And I think there's a lot of training that needs to go into actually doing quality development and making sure that the development plan is really based around the individual. I mean, it has to be right for the company, obviously, but I think far too often we try to group people into these boxes and think about everything from a formal training perspective, and there's so much more than that. And I think we should push back on people to, um, hey, the knowledge that you gain and you grow, you take with you, so you need to be part of the development process. And just because I can't pay $3,000 for you to go to a conference, that doesn't mean that you can't learn from a mentor, let me help you find somebody. That doesn't mean that you can't go take a workshop or that you can't learn from podcasts or books or, I mean, heck, all these universities have all these free courses online. There's so many opportunities for people to learn and build themselves. And I think people look at development as a, um, well, it's my company's responsibility to help me grow instead of the individual thinking that it's, you know, Hey, it's no, it's your responsibility to grow. You get to take that knowledge with you. They should be helping you, but it's your responsibility. And, and I think when people make the shift of taking ownership of their development, the management is really, how much management do you need? I, you know, right now we need more performance management than we do. Then we pay attention to development. Well, if they'd flip it, then we wouldn't need to have all those hard, serious conversations. And, and I just think it would just remove all that. So would communication and connection, but I think if there's a good blend of it, then it works. But I think right now in, in our, in our society it's again I feel like people don't don't have the time or you know we don't know how to do it right so let's just put it off to the side and if they just focused a little bit more on development then the management side would be so easy um, yes I think that's such a powerful statement um, you know I'm a, something I've learned about I've, I've known about this from for a while but I've not been able to put words against it and I'm mm. hearing more and more about energy management over time management Mm. We've got the same amount of time, but are we doing the things that give us energy, or are we aware of the tasks that we do that take energy away from us, and the ones yeah. that enrich us? You know, are we mindful of that? And I think it's a really interesting shift. I think towards actually, how do we manage energy rather than just time? Yeah, I think people spend like, especially managers, they get bogged down on activities, and I wish I could think of one right on top of my head, but you know, I'm, I'm sure every manager has a set of activities that they do every week that they feel like they have to do every week and a lot of time to every week or like a, a weekly meeting that adds no value. Why do you have it? Get rid of it or don't go to it. You know, I mean, I think people need to take a little bit more ownership in what they spend their time on and really evaluate it. Um, I was on a course recently where they provided a not to do list. <laughs> so what are the things that you can eliminate, um, delegate, or it was a word that ended eight and it's basically putting a process around it. Um, so, you know, how, how can you put a process around something or get rid of it completely or have someone else uh, help you with that task? 
And I think it's an exercise we should go through often. I think that's brilliant. I love that idea. I've never <laughs> a not to do list. I wonder how a not to do list. <laughs> what, what really, what I think is so powerful what you're talking about here. Okay. If people do feel under time pressure in their mind, taking accountability and challenging and pushing back or saying no, you know, I've, I found one of the biggest time gains for me has been mm. the ability to say no to stuff that doesn't serve me or doesn't add value. But again, it takes courage. Yeah. What kills me is managers will go to these meetings where they just sit there and have no input, have no involvement, but they'll go to like 10 meetings in a day, six meetings in a day, yet they will cancel their team one-on-one -on -one meetings. They'll cancel their one-on-one -on -one meetings with their own team so they can go to some whatever meeting that they feel like they need to go to. I'm like, okay. No, make, make your one-on-ones a priority. They will add so much value to your life. And then figure out what other meetings you can cancel so again it comes down to what are you prioritizing i love that and there's this really strong theme from our conversation today around mm. accountability and ownership mm. but also empowerment yeah so these middle managers they've got to be accountable but also to to be confident as well right. as a challenge so it's, it is quite absolutely a tough, it? It, is a tough it is it's a delicate balance and sometimes it's you know the balance is to fly under the radar while you get your team up and running and doing what you want you know or or sometimes the balance is you know knowing when to have the courage and speak up and say that mm, you don't think that's the right direction or the courage to tell a boss who's normally closed down that you've got an excellent idea that you really feel like should be shared with everyone that's worked for you and sometimes people just keep it to themselves because they feel like it's going to be shot down so courage is not always about a you know fighting a negative situation it's also having the courage to say hey i've got something that works why don't we see if it works for everybody else um, but it is that balance of kind of focusing on your own team and then also being accountable upwards as well and you know what does that mean? You know, this week it might mean you got to manage that person. The next week it might mean that you've got to swallow your pride a bit. It just kind of, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever's coming around, you just got to learn that, that patience. God, amazing. Yeah. Well, look, as we look to wrap up, how can people get hold of you and ask if they want to follow on the conversation or they want to sort of reach out to you to, to, to connect with you? What's the best way to find you? Well, I think I have, I'm on Facebook, you know, Renata Porter leads and I'm, I've got my website at renataporter.com or they could just email me rp at renataporter.com. Um, I was doing a lot of, you know, one of my uh, not to do list. I was trying to make sure that, you know, cause my goal is to, you know, get information out there. And if it works for one or two people, awesome. I feel like I've done something. So I was writing every week, doing videos every week. I was pushing out information. And then I just found that I was just kind of getting lost and actually doing some quality things for some clients and, and for myself. So I've kind of slowed down on my um, social media activity, um, but you can also find me on LinkedIn as well as we're not a porter. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for having a conversation around a topic that we don't normally talk about in this podcast. Yeah. Appreciate oh, great. That. Oh, thank you, Gary. I've had a good time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Have a great day. Bye. Okay. Bye. Hi there, it's Gary Turner wrapping up this excellent conversation with Renata Porter. Just wanted to share a few of my key takeaways with you in case they also resonate with you 
Um, first one is that she spoke about one of the biggest pushbacks that she gets when working with clients is that they feel that it takes too much time to do this leadership with heart, to lead with intentionality and not just focus myopically on the metrics. But of course, as she says, you know, once they put the effort in um, up front, they do find they get time back in the future as they get bogged down with less and less detail. So there's two things that come up here for me. One is getting away from this short-termism, this reactivity of the day-to-day. And of course, that takes courage. That takes courage to say, no, I'm not going to continue um, with this downward spiral of reactivity, of fear, of impacting my well-being as a leader and also the well-being of my team. Um, so I think it's just a really powerful statement from, from Renata. But she also offered some really helpful tips um, for middle leaders how to actually take ownership of their time more effectively. And she said, why not develop a do not do list? How cool is that? It's certainly something I've not thought about doing before. I I tend to default to being very honest and upfront with um, graceful no's, as I learned with Greg McCohen's book, Essentialism. I tend to say no a lot more gracefully rather than actually being intentional around a do not do list. That could be something for you to try. If you do as a listener, try that, let us know. Let us know how it works for you maybe what the challenges were, or indeed the value that you got from that. Also, just wanted to share, and I think this is really, really important. Um, Renata spoke about the fact that middle managers need to focus on themselves and their teams and actually delivering excellence from within that team. Now, this goes beyond being siloed. This is not at all what I heard in Renata's leadership here. This is around silencing the noise that can come from above. So developing that microculture almost within your team. And this also reminds me of a, a really awesome Accenture um, slide share that I saw, saw a few year, years ago where they were talking about the myths of organizational change. And one of the myths is that change comes top down. I believe the number was something around 80%, so sort of links back to Pareto's 80-20 rule, that around 80% of effective change that sticks actually yeah. comes from the middle out. So if you're a middle leader or even if you're a senior leader, What can you do to create the safe conditions to allow people to work with their own culture, to allow them to experiment, to iterate, to challenge the status quo within their area of the business, which you could imagine having a whole range of different parts of your organization, all running with their own microculture, but all on the bed of a value system that goes right across your organization, locally, regionally, or globally. I just thought there's a really powerful message that why not work? with a you know a micro culture within your team and really make them excellent and then look to penetrate the rest of the organizational culture from there uh, and finally and i genuinely feel this is so so important individuals should take more accountability for, for their development too i think this comment from an author is so so important i used to be one of those people that was waiting for the organization to drop a thousand pounds in my lap and say go and develop yourself gary you know that it took me a number of years to get away from that you know, that's the victim mindset. You know, I'm owed something. Why doesn't the organization or my line manager give this to me? It has to be a co-created journey. If we want to grow, we have to seek support, make suggestions how we can grow. It doesn't always have to cost money. It can be listening to podcasts like you're listening to now. And thank you for joining us if you are. It can be setting up your own peer-to-peer network. It can be doing a reading club. You know, there is nothing stopping you setting up your own way of learning, reaching out to other people in your network to find out if they're interested to set up on some sort of accountability partner basis. Um, So what can you do differently? What can you do? What action can you take accountability for to step into your power 
and try and help yourself grow and those around you. So I really appreciate Renata for sharing so much wisdom in this conversation. I hope these reflections have also served you and are helpful. If they have, I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review on iTunes so we can try and reach uh, more people with this podcast. We do believe that this is a relatively unique podcast. We deliberately go below the surface of organizational and personal life to look at the areas of emotion, of vulnerability, of awareness, of fear, of mindset. Uh, And I hope that this safe space with this podcast serves you. And if it does, please do let us know. And we look forward to speaking to you on episode 72, which will be with the awesome Gethin Nadin, author of A World of Good Book and um, an expert in employee experience. So until then, we really hope that this uh, podcast has served you, that you've taken something away. I'm Gary Turner. You can find me at Gary Turner Zero on uh, Twitter. Or if you're interested in any of the support that I can offer, have a look at the listening organization, one word.co.uk, where you'll find a couple of my new products the Engageathon, which is a blended virtual and uh, face to face um, learning experience, engagement experience, and also our safe house, which you can find at our safe house, one word co.uk which is a two-day off-site leadership retreat to help facilitate and support via safe uh, a safe space which is a lovely country house in dorset in the uk um, or we can do it on site or at a remote location that's best for you uh, but we really go deep on areas such as courage vulnerability as a strength mindset and a whole range of other areas over those two days with some facilitated virtual support as well so speak to you soon and have a great week as you go ahead. Take care for now. And I'm Gary Turner. Cheers.